Well, thank you for being here this evening. You might recall, if you were with us, that uh, last fall we began at the summit a study of the life of Abraham in the book of Genesis. Uh, We took a break for a brief series with Chris Hatchett in December with the intention of coming back in January and finishing that study. And that was going to be followed by a a study by uh, Jonathan Storman. However, during the holidays, Jonathan and I agreed that his wife is due any day now. And this would not be the season for him to try to be doing a series on Wednesday nights. And so he asked if he could instead do that series in January. And so we agreed to swap. So we left Abraham and Sarah hoping for a baby back in November. And so now maybe Leslie and Sarah are finally going to deliver. So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 18. I began with a story about Mildred and Frank. Now Mildred was the chirp gossip and the self-appointed monitor of the church's morals, sticking her nose constantly in other people's business. Most of the members really didn't approve of all of her extracurricular activities, but most of them feared her sharp tongue too much to ever say anything about it. She made a mistake, though, when she took on Frank. He was a new member, and she spotted his pickup truck parked one afternoon in front of a bar downtown. So she let everybody, including Frank, know what she thought of that and said quite loudly, if your truck was parked there, everybody knows what you were doing. But Frank was a man of few words. He just turned and walked away. He didn't try to explain, defend, or deny. He didn't say anything. But that evening, Frank drove his truck. He parked it in front of Mildred's house. He walked home. And left it there all night. (laughs) You got to love Frank. You see, nobody knows how to silence foolish talk like God does. Especially when the foolish talk is about God. That even includes those times when you're only talking to yourself and think no one else knows what you're saying. Because God doesn't think it's a laughing matter to question Him. Genesis 18, you recall that the promise has just come to Abraham that he would be a father, that Sarah would be the mother. God has changed their names. And at the age of 99, just a few weeks before the story we're about to read, he's gotten circumcised. Now, verse uh, verse 1 of chapter 18. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance in the tent in the heat of the day. And Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat. So you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the, into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, 
get three seahs of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. And then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. And while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Now this is strange. It's another one of those obvious yet mysterious incarnate appearances of the Lord. The author clearly says it was the Lord, but he was in the appearance of a man. And further reading in the chapter is going to reveal that the other two that appear to be men are actually angels in human form. Now, I believe the third man was Christ himself. That the gospel accounts are going to record a more prolonged and special appearance of Christ in human form. But that's who this third man was. And it's interesting to me that Abraham at this point does not know the identity of his guest. You see, it is amazing to me that God in his humility could come in human form and so conceal his deity that you don't recognize him. The Bible is going to say later about Jesus in Isaiah 53. He had no beauty or majesty that would attract us to him. That there was nothing about his appearance that we should desire him. Now I know when we make movies or paint pictures of Jesus, he's the best looking man in the county. But what the Bible says is he frankly was pretty ordinary in form and appearance. That you wouldn't see him at a bunch of guys walking down the road say, that one's the son of God. And the same way here, when the Lord appears in human form, he does so in such humility that even Abraham, who has an intimate relationship with the Lord, cannot recognize his form. But the interesting thing to me is he couldn't have treated him any better if he did. Did you notice the verbs that are used of Abraham in the short text I just read? He hurried, he bowed, he ran, he selected, he brought, he set, he stood. Now that's not bad for a man of his stature and his age. Abraham's got 318 trained fighters in his camp. He could have easily had someone else do all that work. And remember, he's 99 years old. He could not have honored them more if he did know who they were. Now, his actions powerfully illustrate for me the spirit of two New Testament verses I want to show you. The first is Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. To a follower of God, there's no such thing as a menial task. To a disciple of Jesus, there's no such thing as something that's beneath us because everything we can do we can do it like we're doing it for the Lord and that's what Abraham does here he's doing it for the Lord even though he doesn't know he's doing it for the Lord and then the other verse is Hebrews 13 verse 2 certainly the author of Hebrews had this story in mind when he says do not forget to entertain strangers for by so doing some people have entertained angels Without knowing it. Kindness to strangers is one of the hallmarks of the true Christ-like spirit. 
And the Bible says, you don't know who it is you're being kind to, so be kind to everybody. Is it possible today that angels still appear among us? It seems to me the Hebrew writer is certainly suggesting that possibility. And I think it's certainly a possibility because I was talking just the other day to a guy who said, I think my wife is an angel. She's always dropping in harping on something. So I think, I think the possibility exists. I think it's easy to understand why three different times in the Bible, Abraham is called the friend of God. And the next time you want to know what a servant spirit looks like, just read about the actions of a 99-year-old man who had strangers come by his tent. Now, let's pick up the rest of the story because it gets even better. Verse 9. Where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. There, in the tent, he said. And then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid. So she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. What a story. They're enjoying a good meal. And suddenly, one of the men says, where's Sarah? Now, you say, what's the big deal with that? Well, now remember... She has just recently changed her name. This is the first time in the Bible anyone has called her Sarah. For 89 years, her name has been Sarai. And these guys are strangers. Now, it's true Abraham was a man of some note, and he was probably fairly well known in that area. But he's thinking, number one, how do they know my wife's name? Who are these guys? And if there was any question about it, it was settled by the next statement. I'll surely return to you about this next time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. See, God didn't ask where Sarah was for God's benefit. He knew. He said, where is Sarah for Abraham's benefit? But only God could have known about that promise. And you remember in the Gospel of Luke, after the resurrection, these two guys are walking down the road and Jesus appears. And the Bible says they couldn't recognize him until they get to a home. And it was right there while they were breaking some bread at a meal. It says their eyes were open. I think the same thing happened here. Where's Sarah? 
She's going to have a son, you know, when I come back. And his eyes were opened. And suddenly he realized who he was talking to. But Sarah was listening too. And she laughed inside to herself. And her inner laugh revealed that the eyes of her heart were still blinded by unbelief. At this point, Sarah's faith is nowhere near Abraham's. And the powerful promise of God has outdistanced her ability to receive it. You see, you've got to understand something. At this point, God has never spoken directly to Sarah. Did you know that? Now, he's spoken directly to Abraham. He's even spoken directly to Hagar, her maidservant. But to this point in the biblical account, God has never spoken to Sarah. So think about this. She has left her homeland. She has traveled hundreds of miles in the Middle Eastern heat. She has lived in tents. Why? To chase second-hand promises. Promises never given directly to her, but always through somebody else. And she had to wonder more than once, I wonder if the old man was just hearing things. She wasn't certain what he heard, but here's what she was certain. Her body was past the point of childbearing. In fact, her exact words were, I am worn out. You ladies understand this. You understand intuitively there comes a time when your body tells you. You can't be a mother anymore. And her body has told her that for a long time. See, Sarah still believed in God. But Sarah had stopped believing God. She had grown accustomed to barrenness. And she had resigned herself to a closed future. And her tribe is large. The world, this country, our churches are filled with people that believe in God. They just don't believe God. Not when he says outlandish things. Because reality has taught them that the future is closed. I always get a little nervous when people start saying America needs to go back to the faith of our forefathers. Which forefathers? I know Thomas Jefferson wrote in marvelous words in the Declaration of Independence. But did you know Jefferson was a deist? He believed in God, but he didn't believe in miracles. He couldn't stand some of the stuff in the Gospels about Jesus. He rejected the virgin birth, the walking on the water, healing Jairus' daughter. So he just took his Bible and he just made a new one. And he contained Jesus' teachings and Jesus' historical events. But the rest of that stuff went out. Do you know how Jefferson's Bible ends? The Gospel reads like this. There laid they Jesus... And rolled a great stone at the mouth of the sepulcher and departed. End of story. 
But God does not consider it a laughing matter when people reject the possibility that he can order a new future. He doesn't consider his word of promise to be a joke. And so he says, why did Sarah laugh? And he's not asking the question for Abraham's benefit. He's asking for Sarah's. See, I think this visit wasn't for Abraham. This visit was for Sarah. And it's interesting to me that in the process of communicating a miracle, he's performing one. It's kind of like, do you remember when Jesus, after the resurrection, appeared and Thomas wasn't there? And they told Thomas the Lord was raised. And he said, I don't believe it. Dead men don't do that. Unless I see the scars in his hand and his side, I don't believe it. So a week later, Thomas is with them, and the Lord Jesus appears. And watch what he does. He says, Thomas, come see my hands and my side. How did he know what Thomas said? You see, in the process of declaring a miracle, he communicates one. He illustrates one. That's what God's doing here. Sarah, what were you doing laughing in your heart? At me. Is anything too hard for the Lord? He's trying to get Sarah's focus off of herself and onto God Almighty. See, the challenge of faith is to look beyond present circumstances to the character of the person who's ordering a new future. So just as he had to do with Abraham, God is taking Sarah past believing in him to believing him. Now, think about this. God could have given them a baby over 20 years ago. And it still would have been a miracle baby. You know that, don't you? Because Sarah was barren. It didn't matter whether she had that baby when she was 40 or 90. It was still a miracle. But their faith would never have been what it grew to be if they had not gone through the journey God led them on. See, God didn't need Sarah's permission to get her pregnant. But what he wanted was her admission that nothing was too hard for him. And by the way, He got it. Sarah would soon decide that God couldn't just predict the future. He could actually create the future where it was humanly impossible. Look what the Hebrew writer says, chapter 11, verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received the power to conceive. Even when she was past the AIDS, well, notice, since she considered him faithful who had promised. God did a work in her heart and her eyes opened and never again would Sarah laugh at the promises of God. But she would laugh again. We're getting ahead of ourselves, but look at chapter 21 with me. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah. As he had said, 
And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. And Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. And Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. That's a neat story. And it challenges you and I to really ask ourselves how much we believe God. Not do you believe in God, but do you believe God is able to create the future that He wants for His people? And so two questions or thoughts we're left with. Number one, I'm encouraged by this one, that God is faithful. Even when we're not full of faith. God said, I'm going to come back and you're going to have a son. Whether you laugh or not. I'm telling you, I've written the future. I've announced it. Here's what's going to happen. But God understands that faith is a struggle. Even for biblical characters. Years and years ago in college, I heard a preacher named Stanley Ship say, Abraham was just a guy standing around when the Bible got wrote. And that's bad grammar, but that's good theology. Abraham was just like us. He's the father of the faithful, right? But you remember his story. When he's supposed to be heading to the promised land, he settles down in Haran. Not once, but twice, we're going to see that he lies about his wife. To protect himself. He tries to accomplish the will of God in the flesh. By impregnating his maidservant. And producing Ishmael. Instead of the child of promise. In fact if you read a chapter earlier. 1717. When God announced that he was going to change his name. And give him a son. Abraham laughed. And Ishak. Laughter. Was named Ishak. Because Abraham laughed. Not Sarah. And God never said to either Abraham or Sarah, that's it, you laughed, I am through with you. Because God had made a promise. And God is faithful even when we're not full of faith. See, God understands, I believe, the journey to escape the bondage of barrenness is long and hard. And I personally find great comfort in knowing this. That I have a God... Who treats me like he did that dad in Mark 9 who had this boy with the evil spirit. And he said to Jesus, can you do something? And Jesus said, can I? If? All things are possible for him that believes. And that dad said, and I do believe. But help me overcome my unbelief. I think that's where most of us live. I don't think most of us in this room are 100% belief. And we're not 100% unbelief. We're a mixture. Some days it's more one than the other. And God comes to you and me just like he did to Sarah. And helps us get where he wants our faith to be. And he doesn't do it by 
pointing to the consistency of our faith, but to the consistency of His own character. Nothing is too hard for God. Not even our own struggling faith. And He's eventually going to lead us to embrace what we once thought was a joke. Which is my second point. The story teaches me that faith is laudable when it embraces the laughable. See, God's promises will always be a laughing matter to some. Here's why. Because most people think nothing's harder than barrenness. If you ask most people, is anything too hard for God? They'd say, yeah. My situation. My barrenness is the hardest thing that exists. Nothing's harder than that. See, God's redemptive promises have always asked us to believe in a laughable future that's more real than the visible present. That was so good, I'm going to say that again. God's redemptive purposes have always asked us to embrace a laughable future that is more real than the visible present. And so he goes and he visits a virgin and says, you shall bear the Messiah. How can this be? The Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For nothing is too hard for God. And she said, I'm your servant. Whatever you want. And she embraced a future that was laughable. But more real than the visible present. That's how God redeems the world. Later, a rich man comes up to Jesus. I want to inherit eternal life. What do I need to do? Get rid of your idol. It's that simple. Sell your stuff. Follow me. And he went away sad. And he was a good, moral, religious guy. And the other disciples said, I don't get it. If he can't be saved, who can be saved? Well, with men, it's impossible. But nothing's too hard for God. And here's a challenge to you and me. To live like that laughable future is more real than the present right now. So let me be blunt. What did it mean for Abraham and Sarah? It meant they went into their tent... And they started acting like a couple who wants to have a baby act. That's what it meant. And that's laughable when you're 99 and 89 years old. Unless you believe God's ordained future is more real than the present barrenness. This is how the people of God live. And the world doesn't get us. You're going to stay a virgin until you marry? Are you nuts? Nobody does that. No, we do it. 
Laugh if you want. But we're going to trust the wisdom of God. You're going to do what with 10% of your income? Well, yeah, we are. I know it's crazy to you. But I've got more confidence in God's provision in the future than I do the wisdom of the day. And over and over again, God asks us to choose what the world calls a joke. Because we believe the destiny He has ordained for us is so real, we're ready to live now like it's already here. That's why I like the story years and years ago. Before the Civil Rights Movement, there was this African-American community in Florida. And every time they had an election, this community would go and they would rent a voting machine. Now, no one counted their votes. They weren't allowed at that point by law to vote. But they'd still do it at every election. And somebody from the white neighborhood said, why do you do that? And the answer was, we're just practicing. We're just practicing. That's how we live. As Martin Luther King said, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. And the people that live like that, I think, are going to wind up having the last laugh. So, maybe tonight you've decided something is just too hard for God. Barrenness is so overwhelming. It's all around us. It wears us down. And we get worn out. And stories like this are written to encourage us, the Bible says. So let's sing one verse of this old song. Then I'm going to ask you to pray with me. He is able more than able. What concerns me today? He is able more than able to handle anything that comes my way. He is able more than able to do much more than I. Just bow your heads for a moment. Just think of one one thing you used to pray about you've kind of given up on. It's not too hard for the Lord. Just take a moment. Ask God again.
let's all be standing. We'll sing one more song. We'll just affirm the mightiness of God. And as we do, if tonight you would like to put on our Lord in baptism, uh, you can come as we sing.